Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. With the 17th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Las Vegas Raiders select Alex Leatherwood. Tackle, Alabama. They saw me as good enough to be the 17th overall pick, you know what I mean? So I'm more than excited to get to the program and um, and prove them right. Not necessarily like prove the haters, the people who made all the mock drafts and all this stuff wrong, but to prove myself and the Raiders organization right. Because I'm thankful and grateful for them. Welcome to Raider Nation, Alex Leatherwood. That it was the voice of uh, Alex Leatherwood, the, the Raiders' first-round pick, drafted 17th overall, the day one starting right tackle from the University of Alabama, a three-year starter, uh, Outland Trophy Award winner last year, uh, the anchor of what was voted the best offensive line in college football last year, a two-time national cha- I could go on and on and on uh, about Alex Leatherwood. Um, and I know that, and we're going to get into this in just a bit, um, it might have been a little bit controversial. Uh, Alex Leatherwood might not have been as high on some people's boards uh, as others or the Raiders uh, had him. But, you know, at the end of the day, you get your guy. Uh, if, if Alex Leatherwood, and we have every reason to believe this, was the best tackle still remaining on the Raiders' board, he, he might have been the best tackle in their eyes in the entire draft. I don't think that that's the case. Penny Sewell um, was, you know, arguably and uh, has been identified as the best tackle in this draft. But short of that, you know, Alex Leatherwood was the apple of the Raiders' eye. Um, and they you know, devoted the 17th pick uh, in the draft to picking him, to making sure that he wasn't going to go anywhere else. Uh, by the way, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. We want your calls, uh, 702-365-9200. We're going to get into the entire draft, but we're going to start right at the top uh, with Alex Leatherwood and some of the quote-unquote backlash or criticism, and that's going to happen in any draft. Um, but I'll, I'll say this, and I, I you know, repeated this over uh, the course of the weekend, um, Listen, you know, when you talk to these draft experts and the pundits and the analysts and all of those people, uh, they're taking a big helicopter ride over this entire process. And it's, I'm not saying that it's just surfacy, uh, but it doesn't go as deep as, let's say, where the Rams are drafting or the Raiders or the, the, the process of the Seahawks drilling down to the middle of the earth um, looking at things through their own lens and at players uh, specific to their needs and their schemes and their coaches' wishes and what they're looking for. Um, you know, all these teams are, are literally drilling to the middle of the earth with an army of people, scouts, coaches, executives, uh, taking a look. And they're looking at these prospects through their own lens for their own purposes and so for somebody like, and, you know, I'm just Mel Kuyper, Daniel Jeremiah, uh, any of these guys that, that do it to the level of, that they do it in terms of the, the uh, analysts uh, and the evaluations, just always keep in mind that they're looking at it singularly from their point of view. Yes, they talk to coaches and scouts and people like that that may or may not be giving them uh, everything that they want to hear or the right information because uh, teams hold things close to the vest. But the point is, uh, Alex Leatherwood was the highest-rated tackle and maybe even uh, player on the board at 17, and the Raiders decided to draft him. The argument that, well, they didn't maximize the pick. They could have drafted, they could have traded down and got him in the second round. No, uh, that wasn't likely to be the case. Uh, multiple people that I talked to in the NFL said that he had a first-round grade throughout the NFL, uh, it, it was very, very dubious that he would get through the first round. So the notion that he would have been there at 48 is just complete nonsense. The Raiders would have had to trade back up to the first round to go get him had they taken somebody else uh, at number 17. And also, well, the Raiders could have traded back. Think about what you're saying uh, there for a second. They could have traded back. Do you understand how presumptuous that sounds that you're – 
just saying that without asking, hey, did you guys try to trade down? Are you, I mean, do you seriously think that the Raiders didn't explore every single opportunity? That's what every team does throughout the course of a draft, whether to move up, whether to move back. They're continually talking to teams. Um, so, so the uh, presumption to think, well, they just decided to take Alex Leatherwood at 17 without investigating a trade down. That's just ludicrous because, and it's not accurate. They absolutely did explore uh, trading down. The offer wasn't um, you know, up to their standards uh, to move down however many stops, spots they were going to uh, move down. So uh, what they were going to get in return didn't warrant the risk or didn't, didn't meet the risk. Uh, and, and so they opted to stay at 17. And always keep in mind, when you start talking about trade scenarios, this isn't Madden. It's not a matter of just pushing a couple of buttons on your, uh, on your, on your uh, console uh, or on your, you know, uh, the, the device to make it happen. You literally have to find teams that are interested and motivated in trading up or trading down. It's a two-way deal, uh, and it takes two to tango. So... All of that you know, speculation and talk is literally looking at it from the outside in, and I think quite presumptuous of people to think that the Raiders didn't actually explore uh, trading down. And do you really think that there was, if there was a favorable uh, trade scenario, they wouldn't have accepted it? Why wouldn't they have accepted it? It's nonsense to think that they wouldn't. Of course they would have if it met, if the reward or the, or the get back um, you know, uh, rose up to the level of the risk of losing out on Alex Leatherwood. So, you know, that's just my two thoughts on the situation. At the end of the day, the most important part of this process is getting the guy that you want, period. If it meant trading down and being able to still get him and bring, you know, uh, bringing in an asset, great. But it sure didn't look like the Raiders were really comfortable in trading down much further uh, and then potentially losing out on Alex Leatherwood for a return that they didn't feel was worth that risk. Really quick, we're going to uh, go out to the Raider Nation listener line. Joe is in Los Angeles, and he wants to talk about the draft. How are you doing, Joe? I'm good. Thanks for taking my call. So I'm yep, very pleased with the draft. Um, initially, i got to admit, I was a little uh, worried about that 17 pick. And what I want to emphasize is not a knock on Leatherwood. It's just me, preference-wise, I would have liked to see us go for a defensive player. But having said that, when you look at the picks the Raiders picked overall, I think we solidified, we, we got a position of need uh, with Leatherwood. I think we got an excellent, obviously an excellent pick with Trayvon Merrick. And the other uh, picks, I think, are part of the Raiders' plan to get people of character, and who want to play football and are excited to be a Raider. So I think overall, you know, this was a great draft for the Raiders. I'm looking forward to the season, and I'm happy today. Yeah, I appreciate it, Joe. And, yeah, um, you know, could they have gone defense? I think if, if a Michael Parsons had been there at 17, they may have absolutely gone uh, uh, defense. And, you know, when, when, when we talked to Mike Mayock, uh, you know, uh, after, after the draft and really after Thursday night, um, or excuse me, after after Saturday when when they did trade up to go get Trevon Morig, he actually thought was thinking about trading up into the first round to get Trevon Morig. So their their focus was definitely on defense. There's no question, and specifically at free safety, we all know uh, that they needed uh, to to watch or they needed a free, a free safety. They needed a right tackle. It just so happened the way the draft board played out. Uh, the tackle was there for them at 17. Alex Leatherwood was their guy. Um, you know. Whether you agree with it or not, I think one thing that you have to do, whether it's in my job uh, or just fans, you know, listening in, uh, hey, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Christian Derrissaw was the guy that I thought was the best tackle outside of that, you know, the, the upper echelon uh, guys or the two guys that, you know, uh, Sewell or yeah, P- uh, Panay Sewell and, and Slater from Northwestern. I thought it was, you know, Christian Derrissaw, but at the same time. I'm not an offensive line coach. I'm not an expert. Tom Cable has been doing this a long time. You know, and when Mike Mayock starts talking about, hey, Tom Cable loved this guy from the beginning. The scouts were on board. Uh, The coaches were on board. Uh, If you have um, uh, a unanimous type support like that, uh, then then you feel comfortable in making the trick, the selection and just listening to Mike Mayock and then also checking in with, you know, my own 
sources kind of behind the scenes, um, if it was a situation where one guy was saying this guy and another guy was saying that guy, then you have a little bit of an issue. But that wasn't the case with Alex Leatherwood. And whether he you know, uh, uh, fulfills his promise or not, at the very least, and there's a good chance that he will. He's got a lot of talent. Go watch the tape. Um, but inside their building, there's not going to be really any finger pointing. It sounds like everyone was on uh, the same page. Uh, and we're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line right now to welcome in our good friend Ted Wynn uh, from The Athletic. I always say this. Go follow him. Uh, go subscribe to The Athletic as well. But follow Ted at FB underscore film analysis. He really breaks the game down in a visual um, and, and vocal uh, kind of a way that, that, that really resonates and, and helps everybody, myself included, kind of understand football, and we're going to uh, bring him in here to kind of make sense of the Raiders draft and put some perspective on the draft. Ted, it's been a, a whirlwind uh, the last few months. There's no question about it. Hopefully you got a little bit of rest, but thank you so much for spending some time with us. How are you doing today? No problem. Doing well. All right, so let's get right to it. Alex Leatherwood uh, might not have been the apple of everybody's eye, but he certainly was the apple of the Raiders' eye, and they made that pretty clear, and they made it clear that uh, this was a pick that had unanimous support in, uh, inside the building. I'm sure you've done some digging um, leading up to the draft and then obviously post-draft uh, for, uh, for, for, for Alex and, and some of the players that the Raiders drafted. Your initial, um, you know, uh, analysis on Alex Leatherwood coming to the Raiders and playing right tackle for them? Yeah, I think um, Leatherwood is a guy that I had a second round grade on. And, you know, when you you look at Leatherwood, he's an explosive athlete, really explosive lower body, um, very long for a guy who's not super tall. He's only 6'4", but he has a good good wingspan, which is very important to some uh, line coaches. He's a mauler in the run game which is one of the reasons why the Raiders loved him so much is um, his ability to just uh, move guys in a run game. The only other guy that I thought had that type of ability was Tevin Jenkins, uh, the the right tackle from Oklahoma. Uh, But there were some medical concerns with him, which is why I believe he dropped in in the draft. Um, So, yeah, Leatherwood, I think they're looking at Leatherwood like a Colton Miller type of uh, player, I don't think he's as raw as Colton was um, coming out of UCLA, uh, but he, he does have a developmental uh, aspect to his game that he, he needs to improve on. Uh, so we'll see if Tom Cable can take him the rest of the way there and, and make him a legitimate starter at right tackle. Well, let's just uh, stay right there. Um, some of the uh, development prospect, and, and you know, uh, I'm not going to speak for Ted here, but a lot of guys have a development phase to them. I mean, these are still unfinished products, especially when you're going from college to the NFL, and a lot of times you're getting juniors, and in this case, uh, some guys didn't even play last year. So there's always going to be that side of of it. Uh, But specifically, what do you feel like he needs to work on? So the things with Leatherwood is more technical. And, you know, one example is he's a little over-reliant on using his outside arm when blocking. You want to be... Uh, more heavy on the inside hand, but there's times when he he gets too happy with his outside hand, which makes him susceptible to getting his arm chopped down, and uh, that leads to pressures and you know having to unnecessarily recover. Um, so so those are things like that that he, he needs to to work on. Um, but I, I think the tools are there. Um, I think a lot of criticism is coming from the fact that there were tackles that are uh, more highly rated for in a, on a consensus board um, when uh, Leatherwood was drafted. Yeah, uh, no question about it. And, and you know, we've been both been doing this a long time, and we both know that everybody's board is a little bit different. And specifically, you know, with so many good tackles in this draft and offensive linemen uh, in this draft, uh, it's not a shocker to me whatsoever that everyone's board was probably a little bit different. And I say that because, obviously, everyone has different sets of eyes, different sets of needs, different schemes. There's a lot, of, there's a lot that, go into, that goes into it uh, that sometimes uh, gets so far down to what kind of blocking scheme are, are, are you running? You know, what, what exactly are you looking for? So it becomes kind of team-specific. So uh, not shocked at all uh, in any case that, anyone was rated a little bit higher than somebody else, depending on the board 
uh, you're talking about. Uh, all right, so that caused some controversy, uh, as Mike Mayock uh, fully admitted uh, after making that pick. Uh, but the Raiders, I think, won everybody back uh, uh, over if, if that was you know even needed. But in the second round, moving up to go get Trevor on, Trevon Morgan. I know that uh, we had spoken to, about him uh, to you leading up to the draft. Uh, arguably the best free safety in this draft if you're going to go by the consensus. Uh, there was a back issue that, uh, that, that cropped up late in the process that might have knocked him down a few pegs. Uh, but you're, if healthy and if ready to go, um, your, your snap judgment on, on uh, Trevon Morag, this free safety from TCU. Yeah, uh, Morag was head and shoulders above the second free safety in the class to me. I just thought he was by far the best safety. Uh, so the back concern was probably a bigger deal to a few other teams because two safeties came off the board uh, be- before uh, Morag, but the, obviously the Raiders aren't concerned. Uh, uh, I'm concerned with that, so the Raiders might have lucked into getting the best free safety in the draft in, in the second round. I, I liked how um, Mayock kind of waited and maneuvered up when he saw the opportunity to draft him. Um, but, you know, Morig doesn't have a lot of film playing center field. Uh, in TCU system, he played in a too-high quarter system where he was asked to uh, play a lot of off-man coverage, essentially, and um, he did not play center field a lot, but he will be playing center field in Gus Bradley's System, but you saw the hip fluidity, you saw the range, the athletic ability, um, and, and he took great angles too. So a lot of those things project to being a great center fielder. And he has he has really good ball skills. He has uh, uh, 20 pass breakups in the last couple of years. Uh, so yeah, he's not a you know easy projection, but I, I think with all the skills that he showed up showed on film, uh, I think the Raiders found themselves a, a really good ball hawk in the middle of the field as long as that back checks out. Uh, as an offshoot to that, um, what does it mean for Jonathan Abram now maybe being able to be utilized in a role that better suits his skill set? Yeah, I think with Abram um, being able to play in the box more and playing uh, more of that strong safety role uh, will allow him to be aggressive. It will allow him to uh, you know, sort of let his physicality shine inside. And, you know, when he is aggressive and there are times where he will mess up or blow a coverage, uh, hopefully those um, are cut down by next season. But when he does, it, it won't be as big of a deal as if he did it while, he, you know, being a deep safety or having some deep responsibility as we saw uh, last season. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're saying he's going to be defending smaller patches of field uh, being exactly. closer to the line of scrimmage in that zone. And, uh, and I think that that's where he excels. He's going to be given every chance um, uh, to really make his mark uh, in a role that, that I think fits him better, and now it's on him uh, to make the most of that. Uh, all right, we go, we go to the third round, and uh, late, I forget what night it was, but late one night uh, during the draft, I got a, a text from, one of the, from a general manager uh, in the NFL, and uh, he was kind of half-kiddingly kind of, you know, mad a little bit uh, that the Raiders took Kuntz and Diablo. Uh, those two players just happen to be super favorites of this general manager that wanted access to them uh, on, on his team. And, you know, you look at the tape of Kuntz. Let's start there. And there's just a natural feel uh, to him in terms of the pass rush. I know that there's probably many issues that he has to work on, especially in run game and that type of thing. But I, he just seems like a guy that's so polished as a pass rusher and so productive as a pass rusher, that there might be a pretty good chance that he gets on the field pretty early as a situational type player. Yeah, I agree. He, he's very polished. And I didn't watch a ton of film on him uh, before the draft, uh, but after the draft, I, I dug up some film, and I was, I was very impressed with how well-rounded his game as a pass rusher is for such a young player. Uh, Mayock mentioned that he loved his toolbox, and I definitely saw – um, all you know, all the moves he has in his, his his arsenal. I don't think he'll ever be a real good run defender just because he's undersized. And you saw him getting overwhelmed by some uh, blockers that you know are are not even skilled enough to be an NFL. But as far as his pass rush ability, he's explosive. He's bendy. Uh, he has a nice long arm. He uses. He has a good chop and dip move, push pull. I saw a spin move. 
Uh, he has a good inside counter move, too. I, I, I didn't get a chance to see that fake spin move that uh, Mayock was talking about, but I'm sure it's there on film. Uh, he has really violent hands. Uh, I love how he uses his outside hand to swipe away uh, blockers, punches, too. I think it takes some coordination balance to be able to do that. Uh, so, yeah, I think he could be um, contribute as a situational rusher um, right away. It, it just depends on how quickly he can get acclimated to the speed of the game. Um, but, yeah, I like him as a situational rusher, and um, I think you know this guy could be a, a, a Max Crosby type of find later in, in the middle rounds. Uh, I know this is sometimes hard to do, but when you look at um, Malcolm, is there a player, is there a comp uh, that you might say, wow, this guy could, could kind of be like this kind of a guy in the NFL? Uh, I, I, I agree with the, the Yannick Agakwe um, comparison to him. Uh, you know, he, they're both on their sides. They're both not really great at the run, but um, and they have a violent hand. So they really love that chop move. Um, and yeah, I could, I could see that comparison. Okay, so right immediately after uh, that pick, uh, Divine Diablo, uh, who has the best name in this draft, I'm just going to go ahead and declare it, um, goes in, in with pick number 80. Played safety at Virginia Tech, but a lot of film that I looked at, um, he was definitely playing closer to the line of scrimmage, showed tremendous range and speed. This is a big, fu- big football player at six foot three. Uh, 230 some odd pounds, but he runs like a deer um, and showed tremendous range watching him. Um, what initial thoughts on, on, on Diablo and the, um, the, the ability of his to be able to move over to Will Linebacker from safety? Yeah, I, I haven't watched a ton of Diablo yet, but I did, was able to watch a couple games and uh, I really like how Virginia Tech used him. I could, I could see that you know, maybe Gus Bradley. Uh, saw that, or Mike Mayock saw that, and visualized uh, using him in the same way, uh, where you know he he was, when he he could line up deep and then move into the box late and play as a linebacker, or he could start as a linebacker and then run uh, bail deep right at the snap of the ball, and that caused a lot of confusion for quarterbacks. And he, he had great range, he has a lot of physicality. He, he looked a lot like a uh, a strong safety to me, um, but. You know, I, I could see how they want to use him as a, a weak side linebacker because uh, when Bradley was the defensive coordinator with the Chargers, he did that a lot where he was moving uh, safeties to linebackers. And, and play. there were times where he would play two safeties at linebackers and have no true linebacker on the field at all. So, you know, Bradley has experience doing this, and he, he knows um, that there is a benefit from getting an athletic guy at the linebacker position. And I could see... I think that's how they're visualizing how they're going to use Diablo. We're talking to uh, Ted Wynn from uh, The Athletic. Always uh, a pleasure to talk to him. Uh, okay, so as you uh, hop in your helicopter and, uh, and, and, and go 10,000 feet up in the air and look down at the Raiders as presently constructed after the draft and after the free agency, uh, what's your level of confidence um, that they've, help themselves this offseason and maybe position themselves uh, not just to make a playoff run. They've kind of made a playoff run quasi uh, the last couple of years, but starting next year, uh, putting themselves in a much better position to push through and and make that a reality. Yeah, I think when you look at the overall roster, it looks like it's um, they've, you know, it, it, it always stinks to lose some of the interior guys they did, the quality of interior guys they did, and it's going to be a question mark of um, how, you know whether Incognito could stay healthy and whether Andre James uh, could play at the level they think they, he can. And also, um, Leatherwood, you know, how fast can he develop into a starting right tackle? Uh, but, you know, overall, I, I think they did a nice job of uh, addressing these needs, and a lot is going to ride on how some of these unknown guys will um, project and how they will play. Um, but I, I think they did address the pass rusher need with um, Ngakwe, and I, I really think Mori could be a really good center fielder. Um, and also a lot will depend on how some of these defensive players that underperformed last year will fit into Bradley's system and whether Bradley's system can um, kind of let, make them live up to their potential or allow them to live up to their potential. It is always an ongoing process. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Ted Wynn, and you guys, again, follow him at, uh, at FB underscore film analysis. Go subscribe to The Athletic. 
he does a great job, as they all do uh, over there, um, you know, covering the draft and, and digging deep uh, into all this stuff. I really appreciate your time. Uh, go take a, uh, a vacation or a couple of days off. Uh, cook yourself some pizza, by the way. I'm living vicariously <laughs> through that. Uh, on your on your pizza pizza uh, adventure, uh, it looks like you're having a lot of fun with that, and you're doing a pretty darn good job as an Italian. I can say that you're on the right track, Ted. Uh, really appreciate it. Take care of yourself. We'll talk to you down the road. Thank you for having me on. Talk to you later. You got it. That's Ted Wynn from the Athletic breaking down uh, the Raiders' uh, 2021 draft. And like Ted, um, you know, I feel like at the very least they've come up with. Obviously, a starter at right tackle, a starter at safety. I am a huge fan of Trevon Morig. Uh, I think, you know, under Tom Cable's tutelage, I think Alex Leatherwood is going to be just fine uh, at right tackle. And just from my vantage point, uh, and we're going to talk to Malcolm Coots here in just a second um, when we come back, but this dude has a natural pass rush ability. It's not going to surprise me one bit if he gets on the field situationally and is able to make an impact and really that's what the Raiders need and are looking for guys to come in and be efficient in their snaps and productive in their snaps I think bringing in a guy like Koontz now lining him up alongside the Ngagwes and the Crosbys and the Clee Farrells and get as many pass rushers on the field as they possibly can I think it could be a game changer for the Raiders or at least point that defense in the right direction and give the back end of their defense a fighting chance uh, to defend uh, when you're getting at the quarterback uh, the way I think this group can eventually get to the quarterback. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. When we get back, Malcolm Kuntz, the defensive end from Buffalo, will join us. Looking forward to it. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. What up, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. It is a Monday. We're uh, recovering from the draft. Just got to say, uh, it's a lot of work, man. I'm just letting you know. Um, from uh, I know the teams work their you-know-what's off. Uh, the, the prospects, it's like a year-long process. There's no break, except for maybe right now for about five minutes they could catch their breath. Uh, but media, everyone, it's just like this whirlwind um, uh, that you just kind of cross that finish line and take a deep breath and then just start looking ahead to OTAs and mini camps and training camp. It just never, ever ends. Uh, but we love it, and, uh, and, and we're here to, uh, to tell you all about it. You know that. Uh, we're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line uh, to welcome in, and I'm just going to say... The pride of White Plains, New York. Yeah, I don't think Malcolm Kuntz knows that we know about White Plains out here uh, in Las Vegas. But I'm just going to throw that out there because I know that his high school was in White Plains. I think he grew up uh, in Westchester County. But uh, without further ado, Malcolm Kuntz, thank you for joining us. Welcome to Las Vegas and welcome to Raider Nation. How you doing, brother? Do we got Malcolm? Hello? Yeah. Hey, yeah. hey, how you doing, I'm man? Great. I'm 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 happy to be here. So, um let's go back uh a, a couple of days. Uh the Raiders obviously um select you and uh if you could just describe that moment. Um you get, I know that you've been working your butt off to get to this point. Uh there's probably highs and lows and obstacles, doubts, people telling you you couldn't do it, um all of that. Uh, but to finally culminate, and I know it's just the starting point for your NFL career, but you definitely, you know, crossed the finish line uh, over the weekend, getting drafted in the NFL. Uh, what was your your thoughts when you got that call that you were officially uh, in the NFL uh, and and going to be the newest member of the Raiders? Uh, it was kind of just a feeling of like like you don't know like how to feel if that makes sense, right? Because it's like yeah, you reached the main goal in your career, but. It's the only, it's the start of something. Like it's not, it's not like the end. Like it's not the end of something, but it's like the start of the actual like main goal that you had since you've been playing pop order football. So, was, and I know, I, I'm sure that that was the thought all along. But how quickly does that light go on? That switch go on? Like, all right, I made it this far, but this is like you said, just the beginning to maximize this opportunity. Uh, now you got to get back after it. Uh, did that just go off immediately? You hang up the phone and you go, all right, I'm here, but 
I'm not. I'm planning to stay around here for a long time. Well, uh, when you first get the call, it's kind of like you get that like. Well, for me personally, I get the call and it's like, like I really, I really just got the call. Like, like and then you got to like wait uh, to see your name, like get called and stuff like that on TV. So it's kind of like, especially I had a whole bunch of friends and family around me. So it's kind of like just a surreal moment. Then after I got my name called, got a whole bunch of hugs and and pats on the back and stuff like that. And then like when I kind of got alone, I really realized like this is only the beginning of this. Like, so yeah. That's awesome. Uh, we're talking to Malcolm Kuntz, uh, Raiders' third round pick, pick number seventy nine. Uh, from the University of, of Buffalo. Uh, and, and, and Malcolm, um, so later on that night, you know, uh, I had watched tape of you, you know, uh, throughout this process. Uh, but as my job covering the Raiders, I got to really now take a little bit of a deep dive or as deep as I possibly can, you know, calling up footage. And there's mm-hmm. plenty of it out there on you. And I'm looking at you and I'm just watching this natural ability to get after the quarterback. Spin moves, uh, counter moves, bull rush, speed rush. It's like a refined skill set that you have and a pretty deep toolbox that you have not it's not often that college players have everything that you have in your toolbox and i know you've worked really hard to put all those tools in there but you know starting point of that did you always kind of have this uncanny ability uh, or knack for pass rush and then building building it off the uh, off of that uh well i think what originally made me like fall fall in love with pass rush and i guess become as good of a pass rusher I am today, it's just like like YouTube. Like people tell you to watch film, and I remember like being. I remember the first pass rusher that I really became like a real big fan of was Bruce Irving when he played for the Raiders. So ironically, that's like kind of like a full circle thing. But like so, just like watching their moves, and then like uh, trying to like put it into like my high school games. So like if I watch like Von Miller do a spin move against the Seahawks or something like that, and then I'm saying like if he did it this way let me try it against this kid that plays for whatever team. And then if it works, I'm like, all right, so I put that in my back pocket. Let me go watch more of his uh, film. He does a long-arm club, and then I'm like, all right, let me try that. That works. I'm like, all right, let me put that in the toolbox. So it's just kind of like throughout the years, just kind of like getting like, my arsenal up, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And uh, were there any coaches along the way that, uh, that, that really helped you hone in and refine uh, and, and put you on this path that you're on right now? Oh yeah, most definitely. There was a um, a coach my uh, sophomore year. His name was uh, Coach Rock Rock Bellatoni. Um, when he first came in, and he was like, we didn't really have like the best. I want to say at Buffalo, we didn't have like the best like um, like understanding of like moves and stuff like that. Like we did like more games and like more like position based sacks. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when he got here, he kind of looked how long my arms is, and he was like, if you just stick your arm out, create space. It, it'll give you enough time just to run around people. So then I did that. It started working on the people in practice. And then if, if that's the case, me just running around people, being able to just extend my arm, then if I throw a club in there, I can kind of use my leverage to get to a QB even faster. So then he kind of like developed that, like those moves that I do in games too. So We're talking to Malcolm Kuntz, uh, the Raiders' uh, newest player, defensive end, uh, University of of, of Buffalo. And uh, for for a kid who grew up in White Plains, New York, um, by the way, there's some great basketball that came out of White Plains. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm sure there still is, (laughs) Uh, keeping it real. Um, When's, you know, obviously the first step is going to college, getting a college scholarship. Uh, That happens. Uh, And then, you know, you, you hope that you're fortunate enough and obviously good enough where the NFL you know, starts coming into the picture. For you, when did the NFL truly start coming into the picture in a way that it was on your radar and something that you felt like, this is realistic for me? Uh, I mean, once you sign that paper to college, that's the, like, I want to say that's kind of like the main goal. Like, that's like the backdrop goal of your whole career. It's like, oh, let me go to the next level. Uh, let me go change my like my life, my family's life, and stuff like that. But, like, Obviously, you get involved with like winning games and winning championships and stuff. So, but I think when it became like, oh, this is like something that's a, a real thing for me, is after my junior year, um, I got defensive MVP for the Bahama Bowl game, had a really good game, and then after like just going through like social media and hearing people like, oh, not no, actually, never mind. Uh, I remember playing against um, uh, Ohio that same year, my junior year, and then after the game, I had like a really good game. I think I had two sacks and then a whole bunch of tackles. Um, like having like the players on the opposite team come up to me saying like, "Oh, you're gonna you're gonna play on Sundays, or you're gonna play in the league." 
and just hearing people that I'm going up against, or like coaches from the other team saying the same thing, that I'm going up against telling me like, oh, you're a league type of player. It's kind of like, it like makes you realize like, oh, so like that is an actual world step for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, no question about it. And um, uh, by the way, the Bahamas ball, you lost me at the Bahamas. I mean, that's where I was just like, the Bahamas ball. That sounds like a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm sure, I know yeah. it was a work trip, but nevertheless, it is the Bahamas. So uh, that must have been uh, a blast. Yeah, it was nice. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, all right, so a weird year last year, to say the least, uh, COVID-19, dealing with all the protocols and all everything that we had to deal with, uh, yourself included, the University of Buffalo's football team uh, included, and then a very weird evaluation process, um, trying to make your way and get yourself on the radar and, and do what you can to you know, uh, put yourself in, in, in position to be drafted as high as possible. Um, how, I mean, could you describe that process? I know you only have your own experience to go on, um, but mm-hmm. how challenging was it kind of going through that process still coming off the pandemic? I mean, realistically, it was it was all over the place. Like, uh, I remember when, like, this whole COVID stuff broke out, um, like, this whole COVID stuff first started, um, like, you didn't, like, nobody knew what, what COVID was. So, like, you didn't know how dangerous, it was, how dangerous it was to be around people. But, like, me, going off my junior year, I realized that this is my, my year before the, like, I, I had to put good film out to get to the NFL and stuff like that. So it's kind of like, like you stuck between... Like, you stuck between a rock and a hard place. But, um, so, like, when the when the whole COVID stuff came out, we were training, 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 like, regular, like, summer, like, training and stuff like that. And then our season got canceled. So, after our season got canceled, I had to make a decision of either opting out of the, the, the well, opting out, looking somewhere to transfer to finish my senior year, uh, or just getting ready for just a senior bowl game. So, but, like, I kept on hearing feedback of like, oh, the season might get put back on. And then it finally did. And then we was only able to play, what, five, potentially six games, including the bowl game. So then once I heard that, I came back um, immediately and I was like, I'm ready to play, especially with my team. We had a special team this year going to the MAC championship and stuff. So I basically just say that it was just like all over the place. Like one, like your thoughts during one week will be completely different at the end of the, the next week, if that makes sense. Yeah, no question, and I don't think people quite realize everything that you guys had to go through, and that's at all levels um, in college football, NFL too, uh, covering a team that was, you know, covering a season of, of with protocols and all that with COVID-19, it was unlike anything I've ever seen, and I'm hope, ho- hoping that we're well beyond that, and we can just get back to normal uh, at, yeah. at, at this point. Um, last, last question for you, and I really appreciate the time, Malcolm. Um, when did the Raiders kind of start coming into the picture and uh, did they keep it on the down low? Were you, were you aware of the uh, infatuation that they had about you? And, and when they called, was it a surprise or did you kind of have an inkling that, uh, that it might be the silver and black? Uh, well, like when the first, when the process first started, like you, you meet with a whole bunch of teams and like, like I would say that all the other teams, the, their approach on me was kind of the same thing. I'll get a text message. I meet with a, a scout on zoom and then after, like, a few few days have passed, and then I get another text message saying, like, oh, you got to meet the coaching staff. So I meet the whole coaching staff on Zoom. Then I'll probably do a meeting with the position coach and stuff like that. So it kind of, like, was the same kind of, like, thing. But with the Raiders, it was kind of different. When I first, like, when they first, when I first got in contact with them, the, the scout that I was talking to kind of, like, FaceTimed me. So it was, like, more personal, if it makes sense. Like, yeah, yep. so it was, like, more personal. Uh, so he like FaceTime me a few times and we like just talked on the phone, just regular conversation, him, um, get to know me. And then when I, um, uh, met with the coaching staff, uh, uh, the position coach, he told me like straight out, he's like, I like you a lot. I like your film. I like the way you play. And then, um, basically it was just like, I kind of got the feeling like they didn't want me cause I did injure my foot. So they didn't want me to like try to do too much and then re-injure and then get hurt again. So it kind of felt like they, they had a whole bunch of interest in me throughout the whole process. I'm assuming that was Rod Marinelli uh, who was telling you that. Yeah. The epi- oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's pretty much an expert at all that. So when he says something like that, yeah, you listen. And uh, he, he yeah. knows what's going on. Trust me. Uh, all right. Actually, this is the last question. Have you been out to Las Vegas yet? Have you gotten out here yet? Um, and if so, if not, uh, when does that whole process start? Uh, no, I have never been out to Vegas. Uh, it'd be my first time going. I mean, I was training in Cali throughout the whole draft process. So, like, I... That was my first time being on that side of like the country, 
So I'm going to go back again. Uh, I go back uh, May, well, I fly out May 16th. So All right, I'll be there cool. the 17th on the field. Nice. Well, hey, uh, no disrespect to all my. I come. I'm from New York uh, originally. No disrespect mm-hmm. to any of my people back in New York, but you're coming to the right coast. I'm telling you that right now. You're gonna love it out here. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Can't wait for you to get out here, get to know you. Uh, good luck to everything. Congratulations. Enjoy it, and uh, look forward to seeing you down the road, man. Thank you so much for your time, Malcolm. All right. Thank you. Bye. You, you got it. That was Malcolm Kuntz, the Raiders' newest defensive end, uh, pass rush specialist. If you haven't taken a look, and I know that. Uh, a lot of fans, I could tell just by looking at some of the videos that a lot of Raider fans have been jumping in and, and looking at the, uh, the video of, of, of Malcolm. Uh, this dude has a natural feel for the pass rush. When you have an elite skill, um, and yeah, like anyone, Malcolm has things to work on. Every player does. We all do. Uh, as long as you're breathing, you can get better. But he has an elite skill, and it's going to translate to the next level. And I would not be surprised to see him on the field sooner rather than later uh, situationally and making an impact. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahar. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Our thanks again uh, to Baku Kuntz, the Raiders' third-round draft pick out of the University of Buffalo, pass rush specialist. Actually, uh, if you go to Ted Wynn's um, Twitter feed, at FB underscore film analysis, he has a nice clip of an inside move. This is, <laughs> Malcolm just destroys this poor tackle. I mean, I, granted, it's the Mac. Uh, and you know uh, that 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 player may not you know this might be the the end of the line for that guy, but just the quickness coming off the line of scrimmage uh, lined up um, in a uh, two point stance, and just this inside move that he just t- destroys this guy on on his way to the quarterback, and he finishes just with a violent t- takedown. Uh, pretty good stuff. Uh, pretty good stuff on Malcolm Kuntz. Uh, thanks to him for joining us. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to uh, getting to know uh, Malcolm. Uh, hopefully uh, beginning soon, sooner rather than later, with all this COVID nonsense. Going to go back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Raider Mark wants to talk about the silver and black. How you doing, Raider Mark? Hey, how you doing, Vinny, man? Uh, you, man you're doing a great job, man, because we, we went back and forth with Cleef Farrell and uh, Devin White uh, <laughs> a few months ago. <laughs> man, and, and uh, I, I hope Cleo goes in the inside, man. He's going to be a great pass rusher there. Hey, uh, great interview, man, with Malcolm, man. Fantastic, man. I definitely appreciate it. You know why? Because not only this guy can rush, he's very intelligent. And that should be talked about more than his, his skill set. He, he's a really, really intelligent brother. And I, I call him Baby Mac, man. The, the Baby Junior, man. I mean, he might be the next coming to Mac, man. Because the way he pass rushes and the, how many sacks he had last year, only like five games, he had like five sacks. This guy could bring it, man. And it, I think Mayock should get a lot of credit, John Gruden. They did a great job of getting defensive players that didn't have competition. That's all Raider Nation wants. We want competition on that defensive side. And whoever comes out to be the starter, fantastic, man. And uh, we, we think the offense is going to run, run smoothly. The only two things I'm concerned about, uh, Vinny, is that offensive line going against the – when the schedule comes out in May 12th, we're gonna, you're going to know who's coming after you as far as pass rush. The only thing I'm concerned about is that – that offensive line and car staying in the pocket and losing the football. Those are the only two things I'm concerned about. Other than that, man, I think the Raiders could get to the playoffs this year with the extra 17th game. And, you know, going to, to SoFi, that's another, that's another home game. We talked about it before. So I just think that if Carr can eliminate those fumbles, the offensive line come through, we're going to be good, man. We're making the playoffs. You know that, man, covering the Rams. <laughs> that pass rush, man. When you have Aaron Donald on there, you just need one guy, man. If, if Morris could be uh, um, the kid from uh, – sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Uh, from, from, get, the Chargers, from the Chargers, if he could be like him, man, that safety, he, he, he's always hurt. But if Morris could be like that, man, we're set, man. We just need one guy to be a Pro Bowl player, and that's on defense, and we're in the playoffs. I, well, I and, and, yeah, and I appreciate the call, uh, Raider Mark. And, yeah, you take you know, care Keep in mind a couple of things. 
number one, um, I'm glad you mentioned the intelligence because there's no question talking uh, to, to Malcolm, uh, not just today, but also when we visited him with him on, on Zoom on Saturday night, that jumped out at me. And if you notice, if you, when you listen to that interview, and hopefully you know, we'll, we'll, we'll post it or people can listen to it on the replay on the podcast version, but when he starts talking about studying film, then implementing what he studied uh, in film onto the field, figuring out if it worked for him or not, then, oh, it worked. I'll put that in my back pocket. Let me go watch some more film and try to add to it. That's next-level thinking. Um, Unfortunately, too many players sometimes just aren't open uh, to coaching and aren't open to suggestions. They feel like they got all the answers. Well, you don't. And uh, the next-level thinking for him, understanding that my ticket to the NFL – is pass rush. I've got speed, I've got size, uh, I've got athletic ability, got the natural, you know, the, the longer arms and, you know, the uh, stuff that you look for physically. But marrying the physical aspect with the mental aspect and pass rushing is not just speed or strength. You have, especially in the NFL, there is going to be film galore on these guys and you better have a counter move and a counter move to the counter move and a counter move to the counter move to the counter move because every tackle in this league is going to have a start understanding what a Malcolm Koontz or Yannick Ngakwe is all about and they're trained with their coaches to figure out ways to stop and take away your strengths so you always have to have a counter and that's when I was talking to Malcolm I tried to you know express this to see on film a kid at the University of Buffalo have all these counter moves uh, and sub moves and not just have them in his toolbox, but have them, but, but execute them at a really high level. That's pretty good. And, and it shows his care. It shows his dedication. It shows his work ethic. But it also shows there's an intelligence level uh, to rushing the passer because it's a chess game down there. It's a chess game. Play in and play out. And I'll take it to the next level. You talk to somebody like a Marcellus Wiley, smart as a whip, uh, great pass rusher in his day. And what, what he learned from you know, the, the players that he played with, uh, and he played with some pretty good ones, was the setup. You do something five, six, seven straight times just to get somebody to, to, to fall into that trap, knowing exactly what kind of a move you're going to have once they actually do. So there's a mental game to pass rush that goes far beyond just the physical skills. Now, you obviously have to have those physical school skills, uh, but you also have to have, have to have the mental aspect. And I think Malcolm, just talking to him, obviously, had, he takes pride in his pass rush, and uh, that's, that's pretty darn good. Uh, back out to the Raider Nation listener line, Raider T wants to talk about the Raiders. How you doing, Raider T? Hey, Vinny. I got to tell you, after the draft is all said and done, I'm pretty happy with what the Raiders did. After night one, I was a little upset. I was fuming a little bit, but then seeing how it all played together, I think they did a pretty good job. I kind of broke it up into the first two rounds and then everything afterwards. Um, And if you look at what they did afterwards, they definitely filled holes on the defense. You're talking um, a pass rusher from Buffalo, so now you're not just having Ngakwe and um, Max Crosby. you got a third guy to put in that rotation that can bring some heat on the uh, quarterback. You bring in Gillespie and Diablo, who are potentially safety-slash-linebackers, uh, um, especially Diablo. That's a guy that, A, if um, um, Abram doesn't step up his game, this is a guy who could slide into the strong safety-slash-Cam you know Cam Chancellor role. Um, and he can also play linebacker, potentially. So if Littleton doesn't uh, get back in form or if Littleton becomes too expensive, this is a cheaper option if he can play that position. You've got Gillespie, same thing, who could play uh, the strong safety position if Abram doesn't step up his game. So I think they did a pretty good job of finding guys to fit what they want to do and could uh, improve the the overall quality of the defense. The first two rounds, I didn't have a problem with Alex Leatherwood other than I felt like, based on everything I read, he was more of a second-round value. So that's where I had my issue afterwards, um, looking at – some of the stuff about him, he was a team captain. He was an Outland Trophy winner, which is the best lineman in the country. Um, those sorts of things, since we were able to get um, Morig in the second round, I feel like those are the two guys we wanted, a right tackle and a safety. So it didn't come in the order we were all expecting, but they filled their holes with really quality guys. And Leatherwood, even if, you know, I was with you, I thought uh, Derrishaw would be the pick 
at 17 when he was still on the board. But I trust in uh, Mayock and Gruden. You know, it's the intangibles, whether it's the leadership or maybe they're a better fit for the run game or um, they always bring that passion. Whatever it is, there's a reason that Mayock and Gruden liked him better than either Jenkins or Derrishaw. Um, and I'm going to trust those guys. I think that guy's going to come in right away, play well for the Raiders, and I'm really excited we got the safety, Maury. Um, so I, I'm, I'm with you. I think they did a good job. I calmed down after night one. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, I really appreciate the call. And throw Tom Cable in there as well. He had a huge say uh, in, the, uh, in the Leatherwood pick. And, and, and let's face it, even, even if Leatherwood wasn't your top guy at that position at that point in the draft, um, at the very least, what the Raiders did made total sense. They got their tackle. They got their free safety. It would have been a whole other issue had the Raiders gone completely off script at 17 and drafted, you know, another cornerback, um, you know, uh, that wasn't one of the highly regarded uh, cornerbacks. It was a, it was definitely a position of need. It made the most sense in the world. It was just the name of the player that I think uh, some player, some some analysts, you know, were had some questions about, but. He was the number one tackle on their board at that point in the draft. You got to give Tom uh, Cable uh, the benefit of the doubt. He knows what he's doing, and if he if Alex Leatherwood fits best in this system, then you go get your guy, and that's exactly what they did. And I I I'm a, totally agree with you. Being able to double it up then in the second round by trading up to go get Trevon Moore that was a home run. That just made that just tied everything together between Leatherwood and him. And then after that, it was just strictly drafting for need and. Drafting players that really fit into what Gus Bradley is doing, Ron Milas is trying to do at the secondary, Richard Smith at linebacker, uh, uh, Rod Marinelli at the, um, along the defensive line. All of these picks make a lot of sense, and that's really all you're looking to do, and that's what the Raiders did, and I think they came out with some gems, and anytime you can come out of a draft, and I think five years down the line, we're going to be able to confidently say that. They came out with a right tackle uh, that that was that did the job and got the job done and played at a high level and a safety Trevon Morig who do this who did the same. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and uh, Bajador. Uh, coming back, we're going to continue to get in the draft. We'll talk to you later.